Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Hello and welcome back to my channel. Today we are going to be talking about Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. This has been a long awaited video. It's only been like a week, but it just takes me a while to get these filmed, edited and posted. And I really wanted to make sure that I got all my facts straight. This is a very complicated case because it does involve a lot of legal loopholes, if you will. So if you have a background in law or have anything you wanna to add to this case, I would really appreciate if you would leave it in the comments so that I can refer back to it and other watchers can too, if you have anything you wanna add, cause this is an ever evolving snowball of a story. So um, I'm gonna do my best to condense what I know into this video. It might end up being a two-parter, we'll see, but um, I hope that you enjoy. So let's get started, Jeffrey Epstein, yikes. Jeffrey Epstein was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1953. He, at the age of 21, became a teacher at an exclusive private school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. While working there, he became acquainted with Alan Greenberg, the CEO of Bear Stearns. And while he was there, he was known to influence other parents during parent-teacher conferences to try and get an in at Bear Stearns. That is where he really wanted to work. He saw the opportunities of success there. So he really wanted to work there. He convinced these people to put in a good word for him and it worked. And in 1976, he began working at Bear Stearns as a junior assistant to a floor trader. He worked his way up and eventually began advising the bank's wealthiest clients on tax mitigation strategies. And in 1980, he became a limited partner at Bear Stearns. In 1981, Jeffrey Epstein founded IAG, which was a company that helped clients recover financial losses from fraudulent banks and lawyers. And then in 1987, he was hired at the Towers Financial Corporation, which is a collection agency. In 1993, TFC imploded as one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in American history, losing investors $450 million, which in 2020 would be close to eight to $900 million. It's been said that Epstein was intimately involved in this scheme, but he dipped out in 1989 before it collapsed and before charges were ever filed. In 1988, before leaving TFC, he founded J. Epstein Company, which was a business exclusively for high dollar clients. Apparently the minimum net worth requirement was $1 billion. However, the only publicly known client was Les Wexner, who owned L Brands, which includes The Limited and Victoria's Secret. And then it was around 1990 that he met Ghislaine Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell was the youngest of nine children. She was her father's absolute favorite. She was spoiled rotten. She went to all of the elite schools, lived in a huge home with like upwards of 30 bedrooms. They owned this luxurious yacht that her father actually named after her. It was called the Lady Ghislaine. 
Her father, Robert Maxwell, was a very successful CEO. He owned a publishing house in the UK. It was known to be very successful. And on November 4th of 1991, Maxwell had an argumentative phone call with his son over a meeting scheduled with the Bank of England on Maxwell's default on over 50 million pounds in loans. Maxwell missed the meeting, instead traveling to his yacht, Lady Ghislaine, in the Canary Islands. That yacht disappeared, and when they found the yacht, Robert was not on it. They eventually found his body. It appeared as though he had drowned, and an autopsy revealed that he suffered a heart attack, but that's all we know. It does seem a little suspicious, though, however, that right after this phone call, he dies. It was then revealed that Robert Maxwell had been raiding the pension funds of his employees in order to float his company to avoid bankruptcy. His family was left to pick up the pieces, but Ghislaine dipped out and left the UK for the US. She flew to New York, and shortly after that is when she met Jeffrey Epstein. Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein started out as a couple. They dated for a little bit. It was reported by friends that Ghislaine really wanted to settle down with Epstein. She really wanted to marry him. However, Epstein never had any intention of settling down. So after they split, they did remain friends. It's worth noting that Ghislaine came from this lifestyle of extravagance and wealth. And when her dad died and all of that crumbled and fell apart and she met Jeffrey Epstein, this was like her chance to maintain that lifestyle she was so accustomed to. But she also knew a lot of key players. While she was at Oxford University, she met Prince Andrew and maintained a relationship with him. They dated for a little bit, but remained friends. So when she met Jeffrey Epstein, she was able to provide Epstein with the connections to this social ladder he was so desperately trying to climb. And Epstein was able to provide her with the financial luxuries that she was so accustomed to. So even though they split after they dated, they remained very close and each one of them had something to bring to the table. So I feel like this relationship was very transactional. Ghislaine was also known for socializing with Bill Clinton, Donald Trump, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, and one of Jeffrey Epstein's lawyers, Alan Dershowitz. Now it's worth noting some of the scandals that have followed these people. So let's just go ahead and start out with Bill Clinton. I really don't have to elaborate on this. Anybody who knows anything knows that Bill Clinton was known for having an affair, a scandalous affair with Monica Lewinsky while he was the president of the United States. Bill Clinton is on a lot of the flight records of Jeffrey Epstein's private jet. They were known to attend events together. Ghislaine Maxwell was actually at Chelsea Clinton's wedding. So they had a relationship. There's no denying that. Donald Trump was quoted in 2002 saying, I've known Jeffrey Epstein for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them on the younger side. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Harvey Weinstein, arrested in 2018 and charged with rape among other offenses. In February of 2020, he was found guilty and sentenced to 23 years in prison. Kevin Spacey. In 2018, he was charged with a felony for allegedly sexually assaulting journalist Heather Unruh's 18-year-old son in 2016. He pled not guilty in January of 2019, but the charges were later dropped after the victim pled the fifth and refused to cooperate or tell his story. It's unknown if they settled outside of court or what the reason was for him not coming forward with what he had to say, but that event has certainly plagued Kevin Spacey. 
and Alan Dershowitz is one of Epstein's high profile lawyers. He helped negotiate a sweetheart deal, which we will be talking about later. And he was accused of sexually abusing minors with Epstein. So we will venture back to Alan Dershowitz. He becomes a major player later on. So just don't forget that name or that face. So the first criminal case that appeared with Jeffrey Epstein was in 2005 when a mom called the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office in Florida complaining that her stepdaughter came home with a load of cash. And when she harped on her daughter about where this cash came from, her daughter finally admitted that there's this really rich guy over in Palm Beach and he just has us come over and massage him and he gives us money. It's no big deal, but it is a big deal. So the stepmom calls, reports this incident and the sheriff's office starts to dig in a little deeper on some of the info and who is actually coming in and out of Jeffrey Epstein's property. Now, the funny thing about this is that in 2001, Epstein showed up at the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office and spoke with Mike Ryder to talk about making a donation of equipment to the police department, which was worth nearly $100,000, just out of the goodness of his heart, right? And in 2003, neighbors reported seeing lots of very young women on his property. Police stopped some of them, but they said they were adults just doing office work for Jeffrey Epstein. So there was no reason for them to dig any deeper because these women allegedly said they were over 18. There's nothing more they can really do. But then in 2005 is when the stepmom calls about her daughter. And finally they start thinking, there's gotta be more to this. This is weird. We're, we're gonna figure out what's going on. So Palm Beach begins investigating and the FBI gets involved. And the sheriff's office is thinking, well, if the FBI gets involved, this is great because typically federal offenses carry a heavier sentence. They're not as lenient, I guess, as a state charge. So they interview five alleged victims and 17 witnesses. They find items found in his trash and home showed that most of the girls paid to massage him were under the age of 18 with the youngest being only 14. Police also found hidden cameras on the property and pictures of extremely young girls. One of his assistants reportedly removed computer drives and other electronic equipment before police could get a hold of it. But police did find a receipt from Amazon for multiple books on sex slavery. Eventually, the FBI compiled over 34 reports from various victims whose stories all corroborated. Now, I read James Patterson's book, Filthy Rich, on Jeffrey Epstein. He also produced the limited series um, documentary on Netflix with the same title. And a lot of the details in the book weren't in the documentary, as that usually goes, but it is interesting to see the transcripts from these victims because a lot of the details um, are very similar and there's no way that these girls could have known these specific details without either one being involved with Epstein or two being involved with each other but none of them really knew each other and these details were very personal I'll just say that it had to do with some of Jeffrey Epstein's body parts that they could only know if they had seen it with their own eyes so the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office is very confident that the FBI is going to go above and beyond with this case and figure out exactly what needs to be done and prosecute accordingly, right? Overseeing day-to-day -day investigation, U.S. Attorney Maria Villafonda is assigned to the case and she's known as a tough prosecutor and with the FBI involved, the investigation could reach beyond just Palm Beach. 
Brad Edwards represented the victims. And when he spoke with Maria Villafonda, she sounded hopeful, but was unable to really give him any details. So while he is representing the girls, he's trying to get information on the investigation, but he's having a really hard time getting answers, getting clear cut answers or progress reports or anything regarding the case, which is reason for pause. Because here's the thing, there is a federal law called the Crimes Victims Rights Act, which means victims have the right to information and to be treated with fairness. They have a right to know what is going on in the investigation, the prosecution, they have a right to all of that information and they have a right to be heard. And they weren't being heard. Brad, Brad Edwards' phone calls weren't being returned. He was having a hard time getting information out of anybody regarding the investigation. And in a situation where he should have felt like the FBI was on his side because he's on their side, it was not being reciprocated. So finally, Brad Edwards shows up to the courthouse and demands a hearing regarding this case. He finally gets in front of a judge and he tells the judge, listen, this wealthy man is known for abusing dozens and dozens of very, very young girls, and he's abusing his wealth, his power, and his connections with elite people to abuse these young women. And we're working on prosecuting him, but we're not getting any answers in return, and I'm representing these victims. And the judge kind of stops him and says, um, there's really nothing we can do here because there was a plea agreement made nine months ago. And this completely floors Brad Edwards and the victims. They are literally shell-shocked because this is just unheard of. Because of the Crimes Victims Rights Act, they should have had access to all of this information. And if there was ever a plea deal in the works, they should have been made aware of that. They should have had a say in that. So according to this sweetheart deal, if Jeffrey Epstein pled guilty to two state charges and served 18 months in jail, then he would not be charged federally for any of his crimes. And not only that, he was granted immunity and his co-conspirators were granted immunity. And not only that, but there were four named co-conspirators in this agreement, but then the phrasing also says any and all co-conspirators. So it's this completely vague blanket statement that says anyone who had anything to do with me, and this is federal, so this is all states, all 50 states, no matter where you go, it's not just Florida, anywhere, he cannot be charged with a crime and anyone who ever facilitated or helped him commit any of these crimes or were involved themselves with any of these crimes, they can't be charged either. He only ended up serving 13 months of that sentence. Not only that, he was in his own private wing of the jail and was allowed to leave for 16 hours a day on a work release, seven days a week. So he could leave the jail, go work, do whatever he wanted with whoever he wanted to whoever he wanted during his entire sentence. And I know what you're thinking. There's gotta be something wrong. Kelly, you don't have your info right. Like you don't have your facts straight. There can't, there's no way this could be real. And it is. I consulted with someone who has a background in law. She helped me. Thank you so much, Nancy, for helping me understand all of this. Even she was blown away because she just thought, surely not. Just like I did, just like anybody else who has heard about this case. But this is what happened. And why did it happen? Because Jeffrey Epstein had tons of money, power, access to these elite lawyers, this dream team of attorneys to get him out of this mess. And he had connections with tons of wealthy people. And not only that, 
but he had dirt on a lot of wealthy people. So because of all of these things, he was treated like no one else ever gets treated. He was able to skate under the law, avoid any discipline, any real prosecution, and get away with this stuff for years to come. Because remember, this happened in 2005, and it was likely going on long before that, and it definitely kept going on after that. At the time, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Florida was Alexander Acosta. He agreed to the plea deal to grant immunity from all federal criminal charges to Epstein, along with those co-conspirators. This essentially shut down the ongoing FBI investigation into whether there were more victims and other powerful people who took part in Jeffrey Epstein's sex crimes. And as I mentioned before, Jeffrey Epstein was known to have a relationship or a friendship, whatever you want to call it, with Donald Trump. And later on, when Donald Trump became president, Alexandra Acosta was named the U.S. Secretary of Labor. However, shortly after that, the Me Too movement came in and there seemed to be a lot less tolerance for this kind of behavior. So when people pointed out the ethically challenged decisions that Alexandra Acosta made during Epstein's case, they brought that to light and Alexandra Acosta resigned. But once this happened, it didn't shut down any of the victims. It didn't deter them from seeking justice. If anything, it lit a fire under them. As I mentioned, there are dozens and dozens of victims, but for the sake of this video, I'm going to talk about three in particular. Maria Farmer was an art student in New York when she met Jeffrey Epstein and Glean Maxwell. While she was displaying some of her art at a, at a graduate exhibition in 1995, the school's dean, Eileen Guggenheim, introduced Farmer to Jeffrey Epstein, who served as a board member at the Academy from 87 to 94. And although Farmer had already sold her painting for $12,000, the Dean insisted that she sell to Jeffrey and Ghislaine instead. And she insisted that she sell it at a discount because these are very important people, she said. She stressed the importance of Maria catering to this couple. They developed this friendship and she was hired as one of Epstein's assistants to work at his mansion in New York. She often worked as one of his art advisors. She worked at his front desk, signing paperwork and helping work with incoming tradesmen and things like that. And she also recalled seeing a lot of young ladies coming in and out of the property. She also recalls meeting Donald Trump and his wife Ivana and meeting Alan Dershowitz who made frequent visits to Epstein's home. As they kind of worked on this relationship and groomed Maria to believe that she was this essential integral part of their team at the mansion, they offered her what's called an artist in residence. So she was going to go live at this huge property owned by Les Wexner who owned the L Brands Limited and Victoria's Secret. And while she was there, she was supposed to work on these two specific pieces for this collection. However, this is when the abuse began for Maria Farmer. While she was in New Albany, Ohio at this isolated property, Elaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein both sexually assaulted her and she recalled it being a very violent, disturbing experience. I won't go into the details, but she recalls that it was absolutely awful. Then later that summer, Farmer learned that her younger sister Annie had also been assaulted by Epstein when Annie had visited him at his Zorro Ranch in New Mexico in April of 1996. 
So this is prior to Maria's abuse, but when Annie was at the Zorro Ranch in New Mexico, she was told that this was going to be a learning opportunity. And Elaine Maxwell even spoke with Maria and Annie's parents and advised them that she was going to be chaperoning this trip, that everything would be fine. And she kind of groomed her parents into thinking that, oh, your daughter's going to be safe. She's in great hands. She's going to be with me. I'm going to be overseeing everything. This is Ghislaine grooming Annie and Maria's parents and Annie. So she goes out to this Zorro ranch, which, little side note, Zorro is Spanish for fox. However, people in New Mexico say that it's actually slang for skunk. And I bet that Epstein probably did not know that idiot. While Annie was at the Zorro Ranch, she described Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell taking her to go see movies, and they would often act kind of playful and immature when they were around her. One of the first times that Annie went to go see a movie with Epstein, it was just her and Epstein, and while they were in the theater, Jeffrey moved his hand over to her hand and tried to touch her leg, and it made her very uncomfortable, but she didn't know what to do or what to say or what to think, so she tried to just get past it, get over it, put it down because she was still at this ranch and her trip wasn't over. So later, whenever she went to go see another movie with Epstein and Ghislaine, she hoped that since Ghislaine was there, this wouldn't happen again. And let me just be clear that there were a lot of other things going on during this trip that were kind of grooming Annie to think that she could trust these people. They took her shopping, they bought her her first pair of cowboy boots, and they spent money on her, they showed her a lot of attention. And like I said, they were kind of playful when they were around her, almost like they were trying to make Annie feel more comfortable, that they were like this immature kind of couple. I guess when they were standing out front of the theater, Ghislaine jokingly tried to pull Jeffrey's pants down. Um, and so she recalls these things and thought at this very young age, mind you, she was only 16, that, you know, maybe she just doesn't know any better. So she goes to see this movie. She sees Primal Fear and she's hopeful that since Ghislaine is around, maybe Jeffrey won't try to touch her arm or her leg again. But to the contrary, he does it even more. It's almost as if he is turned on just by Ghislaine being next to him and present watching him touch this young girl. Later when they would go back to the ranch, Ghislaine offered to teach Annie a specific type of massage and Ghislaine offered to give Annie this massage. So she sets out this table and Annie gets ready for the massage and when she looks around, she's suddenly very aware that she feels like she's being watched. So she looks around, the doors are open. She can't see anybody watching her, but she feels like she's being watched. And sure enough, there are security cameras and hidden cameras around. So you begin to wonder how much of this was for Ghislaine and how much of this was for Epstein? Because Epstein wasn't involved in this massage. I mean, she felt like maybe there was a chance that he might have been watching from somewhere else, but Ghislaine was doing all the work. At this point, Annie feels like there's just as much of a threat to stay as there is to leave because she realizes how powerful Epstein and Ghislaine are, plus she's kind of stranded at this ranch. So on the last night, she's in bed, and Jeffrey Epstein comes into her room and says that he just wants to cuddle. He gets into bed with her and he's trying to cuddle and it only goes that far because Annie gets out of the bed, goes and locks herself in a bathroom until the following day and is able to escape. When Annie got home, she didn't tell anybody what happened. She didn't tell her parents 
for a variety of reasons. She felt gross. She also felt like she didn't want to ruin an opportunity for her sister. To Annie, she was the only thing they were interested in. She didn't get the inclination that they were doing this to a bunch of other people. Annie thought they were only interested in her. She kind of placed a lot of the blame on herself as sexual abuse victims often do until what happened to Maria happened. And when Maria was assaulted in New Albany, Ohio, she realized, oh my God, could they have been doing this to my sister too? So she reaches out to her sister and sure enough, Annie confirms that yes, they did this to her too. And Maria is just absolutely heartbroken and disturbed. So she calls the police, files a report, and they did nothing. Another key player to this story is Virginia Roberts, who is now known as Virginia Roberts Gouffre. At the time she met Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, she was poolside at Mar-a-Lago, which is a resort down in Palm Beach owned by Donald Trump. Apparently she was reading a book on massage when Ghislaine approached her and said, hey, if you're interested in learning how to massage, I could put you through this expedited program and we can teach you and you'll get paid for it. So Virginia goes back to the property and is quickly introduced to Jeffrey Epstein and the horrors that go on behind their doors. Virginia didn't come from very much and she was also very young and this was kind of Jeffrey and Ghislaine's MO was they were to find these very young impressionable girls typically from a poor upbringing and they'd bring them in and basically manipulate them and make them believe that they had no other choice. So when they brought Virginia in, it wasn't long before they started whining and dining her and introducing her to all of these big people. And she asked Jeffrey Epstein how he knew all of these famous people and like how he had all these connections. And he said, I've got a lot of dirt on a lot of big name people. That was an eye opener for Virginia was, wow, this guy has a lot of power. He's capable of ruining people's lives with the information that he has. And so I think that was one of the times that she realized like, she can't cross this guy. If she tries to run or get him in trouble, like her life could depend on it, right? She starts realizing how powerful of a man Jeffrey Epstein is. So Jeffrey Epstein starts loaning Virginia out to some of his friends, including Prince Andrew. They take Virginia to a nightclub where she meets Prince Andrew. They dance and they get along and then they go back to Prince Andrew's room where Jeffrey Epstein allegedly takes this picture of Prince Andrew with his arm around Virginia and Ghislaine Maxwell in the background. And that is apparently the night that after, and that is apparently the night that Prince Andrew sexually assaulted Virginia Roberts in his hotel room. Now, of course, later on, Prince Andrew denies this. Virginia says there were actually three other times that this abuse occurred, but he denies all of it. And sure enough, Prince Andrew steps down from his royal duties while saying that he'll be fully cooperative with any law enforcement, which he says, but he never backs up because of course, later on when law enforcement tries to reach out to him, he is impossible to get hold of, he doesn't return any phone calls, and is unavailable for any type of questioning. So all of these victims are represented by Brad Edwards, and he is a true hero in this story because he, along with the victims, are completely ruthless in their battle to finally bring Jeffrey Epstein to justice. Finally, the house of cards that Jeffrey Epstein has built starts to crumble when more people come out of the woodwork and pictures start to arise. And in February of 2019, Brad Edwards finally gets a judge 
to agree that the sweetheart plea deal was an unethical deal and that it did in fact violate the Crimes Victims Rights Act. And finally, on July 6th of 2019, Epstein was arrested at Teterboro Airport in New Jersey on sex trafficking charges. He was jailed at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York City, and according to witnesses and sources on the day of his arrest, about a dozen FBI agents forced open the door to his Manhattan townhouse with search warrants. On July 8th, prosecutors with the Public Corruption Unit of the Southern District of New York charged him with sex trafficking and conspiracy to traffic minors for sex. The grand jury indictment alleges that dozens of underage girls were brought into Epstein's mansions for sexual encounters. Of course, Jeffrey Epstein still tried to get out of it and begged the judge essentially to release him on bond, but the judge denied his request, saying that Epstein posed a danger to the public and a serious flight risk to avoid prosecution because Jeffrey Epstein owned his own jet, he had multiple passports, and He's obviously grown accustomed to escaping punishment in the past. So thank God for Judge Berman who decided absolutely not, you're staying put. On July 23rd, Epstein was found injured and semi-conscious at 1.30 in the morning on the floor of his cell with marks around his neck that were suspected to be the result of either a suicide attempt or an assault. His cellmate, who was charged with four counts of murder, was questioned about Epstein's condition but denied having any knowledge of what happened. Epstein himself said he re recollected nothing. So he was then put on suicide watch. Six days later, on July 29th, Epstein was taken off suicide watch and placed in a special housing unit with another inmate, and his close associates said he was in good spirits. When Epstein was placed in the special housing unit, the jail informed the Justice Department that he would have a cellmate and that a guard would look into the cell every 30 minutes. These procedures were not followed on the night of August 9th. That night, Epstein's cellmate was transferred out, but no one took his place. Later in the evening, in violation of the jail's normal procedure, Epstein was not checked every 30 minutes. The two guards who were assigned to check his cell, who were assigned to check his jail unit that night fell asleep and did not check on him for about three hours. And then conveniently, two of the security cameras that faced his cell malfunctioned that night. So the following day, Epstein was found dead in his cell at 6.30 in the morning on August 10th. U.S. Attorney General William Barr called the death an apparent suicide, although no final determination had been made. And the circumstances leading up to his death are being investigated by the Justice Department. The very next day on August 11th, an autopsy is performed. The preliminary result of the autopsy found that Epstein sustained multiple breaks in his neck bones. Among the bones broken were the hyoid bone. Such breaks of this bone can occur from those who hang themselves, but they are more common in victims of homicide by strangulation. Michael Bodden, an independent pathologist hired by the Epstein estate, observed the autopsy and said that Mr. Epstein experienced a number of injuries, among them a broken bone in his neck, that are all extremely unusual in suicidal hangings and could occur much more commonly in homicidal strangulation. So what do you think? Do you think Epstein killed himself? Or do you think someone more powerful with a lot to lose who knew that Epstein had information on him swept in and did the deed? I wanna know what you think in the comments. But before we finish up, let's not forget about Ghislaine Maxwell. Exactly one year after Epstein was arrested, Ghislaine Maxwell has been arrested in New Hampshire. 
She has been formally charged with six counts, which range from transporting a minor for the purposes of criminal sexual activity to conspiring to entice minors to travel to engage in illegal sex acts to perjury related to statements she made before the United States District Court for the Southern District in New York in 2016. While Epstein pleaded guilty to a felony charge of solicitation of prostitution involving a minor, this will be the first time Maxwell has faced charges related to sex trafficking. Her first court date is scheduled for July 14th, and I do think I probably will do a follow-up video on this um, just regarding Ghislaine Maxwell specifically because I've been seeing a lot of conspiracy theories popping up about her involvement with JonBenet Ramsey, Natalie Holloway, and all of these other wild stories. So I probably will do a follow-up to keep up with her arraignment and the charges and just everything that's going to go on with this case. I wonder if she's going to name any people. That is something that a lot of people are very excited about. I'm hoping that she will be honest. I, I don't have much hope for that, I'm gonna be honest. I don't think she was raised with a very strong moral compass and I don't think she's gonna die with a very strong moral compass. Um, I just hope that she's able to stick it out long enough to actually go to trial so that we can hopefully get some sort of answers. I don't know, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see if these guards can guard her cell like they're supposed to and if all of the cameras can stay in working order, we'll see, but. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and listening to this crazy story. I know it's long, I know it's complicated and unbelievable, but I would love to hear what your thoughts are down in the comments, so leave them below. Um, just please be nice and please be kind to one another. Until next time, thanks for watching.